Welcome to the latest edition of our Fixed Interest podcast series. My name's Tony Stringer and I'm a Managing Director in Fitch's Global Sovereigns Group. I'm joined today by Brian Colton, our Chief Economist and Lead Author of Fitch's Global Economic Outlook Report, the latest edition of which has just been published. Well, Brian, it seems that the delta in our headline forecast compared to the last GEO update in late April is becoming much smaller as the path of the crisis starts to stabilise. So notwithstanding the unprecedented pace and scale of decline in GDP, how confident are you that we're now past the bottom in terms of economic activity? Well, this crisis has not been good for the confidence of economists in their own forecasts. Uh, Let me start with that. But does look to us as if there's quite a bit of evidence now that that maybe April was the was the bottom of the economic shock here uh, in the sense that we are starting now to see lockdowns being eased uh, in a number of countries uh, Italy France Spain Germany all made significant progress to, to to loosening the restrictions also in the in the US as well when we're monitoring some of the very high frequency data on on mobility on on travel and visits to to retail and rec- recreation outlets it does look as if we are starting to see some improvements at the margin as those lockdowns are eased we're seeing people go back to the shops and we've had the experience in china which suggests that that is going to happen we're also starting to get a number of a few macro indicators now for for may survey indicators uh, for instance the pmis have all picked up a little bit they're still below 50 but they've they've all come back a little bit in, in europe and, and the, in the u.s the, the ones that the flash pmis for for may one of the consumer confidence indicators in the u.s a couple of other business indicators have, have also improved slightly so it's very very tentative no doubt about it but i think the combination of the lockdowns being eased and these numbers and what we saw happen in china is giving us a little bit more faith that that the view that april would be the worst and q2 as a whole wouldn't be as bad as april that is the that is the right picture Okay, so despite the more modest revisions to our global forecasts, if we dig a little deeper, there is still quite a lot going on under the bonnet and a fairly big divergence between those economies where we're holding forecasts unchanged and those where the picture has got materially worse over the past month. How would you summarise the factors affecting these two separate groups? Well, as you say, we have had a handful of countries now where we haven't changed our forecasts. And that's, uh, to be honest, a little bit of a hallelujah moment for us. You know, the fact that that China, Japan, uh, the US, South Korea, Australia, South Africa, we've we've held our forecasts the same for all those countries relative to the forecast made in late April. It's a mixed bag for the the countries where we've we've held things stable. So in the case of China, I think it's more evidence that the economy economy uh, is is coming back you know china has a big knock on impact on the rest of asia of course and so that's also helping the the situation the outlook in 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 japan at, at the margin and and generally asia seems to be putting the crisis behind it in a more effective way in terms of the the number of new virus cases and success in con- and controlling the outbreak. For the US, it's really a different picture there. It's just the incoming data, I think, which uh, has been terrible in absolute terms. I mean, we're looking at the, the deepest downturn post-war period by a long way, three times as bad in terms of the year-on-year shock in Q2 that we're expecting as the previous worst worst quarter in 1949. No, no doubt the terrible numbers, but they don't look any worse than we were previously expecting. It looks as if the economy is 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 going to be running something like 10% down, which is, is similar to what we had before. Where we have made the big cuts, two components to that story. 
So on the Eurozone and the UK, it's really a, a story. Well, for the Eurozone, it's really a story about the, the data telling us that the daily shock to GDP looks a little bit bigger than we had previously factored in. So number, for instance, for France that we saw Q1, a 6% decline in, in, in GDP in Q1 when they only started their lockdown in March. That's pointing to something which the French statistical authorities, to be fair to them, have been saying all along that it looks like the shock in France in the lockdown was more like 30, 35% than the 25% that we've been we've been assuming. Similar numbers for, for, for Italy and, and Spain as well. You know, and we see that when we look at measures of how stringent the lockdown was, the University of Oxford as a useful metric on this does look as if those countries had quite severe lockdowns and that's being reflected in how deep the decline has been. For the UK, the numbers are not necessarily pointing to a deeper shock. It looks like economy has been hit by about a about a fifth down 20 percent down which which is in line with what they're assuming but the number of new cases in the uk doesn't seem to be coming down very rapidly and that and that really points i think to the lockdown lasting a little little bit longer and we're sort of nine, nine weeks in now and it's only being eased very gradually so i think there in the uk the revision that we've made down to just uh, around minus eight percent from minus six and a quarter percent before that's really uh, anticipating a, a longer lockdown than, than we had before. And then finally, when we go to the emerging markets, that's really all about the virus outbreak. If you look at the path of virus cases, the infection really started to surge uh, late April, uh, early May. And that wasn't something that we'd, that we'd fully anticipated in our last forecast. India in particular, we've seen a huge revision to our forecast now. We're down at minus 5% for India. And that is really due to the fact that India has, has imposed a very severe lockdown, one of the most severe according to that University of Oxford measure. And again, it's, la it's lasted longer, but also we've seen you know, a, a very a significant deterioration in the situation in Brazil as well. So not just the lockdown, but also the, the change in behaviour. So but for that group of countries, emerging markets, ex-China, it's really all about the health crisis escalating relative to, to where we were when we finalised our last forecast. So we continue to see incremental stimulus programmes rolled out or extended by many governments and policymakers. And this seems to be supporting financial markets and the provision of credit growth. But how effective do you think these initiatives are likely to be in terms of limiting the damage? And are there any potential policy game changers that have not yet been tested? I think one way of looking at how effective this uh, this huge macro and stimulus and liquidity injection has been in trying to limit the damage has been path of uh, of credit growth to the real economy, bank credit to the real economy. What we're seeing in the US, we're seeing this in the Eurozone, UK as well, is that bank lending to the corporate sector has actually been accelerating uh, in the last in the last couple of months, you know, data for, for, for March and, and April. You know, and that's a real contrast with what we saw in 2009, of course, when it was the financial sector itself that was at the, the heart of the crisis. So I think, you know, that that is a good indicator of this is making a difference, not not enough to avoid a massive recession, but it certainly uh, it looks like it's it's uh, it, it's it's making things less bad than they would otherwise otherwise be. Similarly, for those job subsidy schemes in Europe, uh, which have the take up has been huge. We think 40 million people are on on these schemes now. So. You know, that's not a very different number to the overall rise in unemployment claims in, in the US. So clearly that is making a difference as well, limiting the, the shock, the shock to unemployment. In terms of where we go next, well, policy continues to be ramped up. There's ongoing discussions about further fiscal stimulus from 
from the US, ECB maybe maybe set to do more. Bank of England maybe set to set to do more on on the QE front. That's sort of more of the same. One area that I've started to see creeping into some of the policy debate, and some countries looking at this, is um, is this idea of of consumption vouchers. So where you where essentially it's a it's a it's a gift to con- to consumers, time limited voucher in which they have to go and spend the money, otherwise the money disappears. So this is something that Japan used back in the day, quite effective. I wouldn't be surprised to see more governments thinking about that option if the recovery weakens, because it's something that uh, consumers just can't, you know, you use it or you lose it. So that to me is uh, is a policy that I've started to see one or two countries talk about that. Wouldn't be surprised if that might be part of the rollout if, there, if it's deemed that another dose of stimulus is required. Okay, so we've touched on this a bit already, and we talked before about the need to monitor China's emergence from the crisis, given that it was ahead of Western countries in terms of its timing. But with the MPC now having abandoned a formal GDP growth target for 2020, what are other high-frequency indicators telling us about the path of recovery in, in China? It's a mixed bag. It's a, a weak recovery relative to some of the initial expectations, but we think it's on track with, with a 0.7% forecast that we published last April. And what we're seeing on the, on the industrial side and on the investment side, things are picking up. So fixed asset investment, we think, turned positive again in, in April. If you look at industrial production, the NBS produces a seasonally adjusted month-on-month series. That's now back to where it was in, in December. We're also seeing credit growth pick up uh, in a quite a material way, actually. The housing market seems to be holding up okay. So there are chunks of the economy that are, that are clearly recovering quite substantially, still not back to, to pre-virus levels. Where things have been more disappointing has been on the consumer side. Uh, the retail sales numbers uh, have have really lagged, and this I think is one area where you know the sort of the social distancing behaviour and the ongoing restrictions are, are weighing weighing on the recovery. And of course, China has had to renew lockdowns in some in some parts of the country, you know, highly populous parts of the country. So, it's the consumer and the household response, I think, you know, to that labour market shock, but also the the ongoing impact of, of social distancing and, and restrictions that is holding the consumer back. That is the that seems to be the um, the area of the economy that, that's weak, and this was this was covered in the in the report from from Andrew Fennell in the Sovereign Team. Finally, even in our baseline forecasts, we're still not expecting global GDP in developed economies to return to pre-crisis levels until 2022, underlining the scale of the hit to demand and supply. What are the main factors that will act as a drag on that recovery path, and how do you now see the balance of risks to the baseline forecast? I think when we're looking at the recovery path, if we focus on the private sector, I, I don't think companies are going to be in any mood to engage in a big surge in capex anytime soon, despite that uh, credit availability that, that I've spoken about. And on the household sector side, I think the scale of the labour market shock is going to be something that's going to impact uh, uncertainty and household spending behaviour for a while. The saving ratio is, is going to go up, I think, on a on a fairly sustained basis uh, as a result of that. But even on top of that, I think the ongoing social distancing that we're going to be seeing, you know, and, until we get a, a vaccine produced and then distributed, you're going to be seeing the social distancing restrictions and voluntary social distancing behaviour. That's going to directly uh, weigh on consumption as well. So the, the private sector really doesn't look like it's going to be driving this recovery at all. The recovery we are going to get is going to be led very much by the policy side. And when we add it, add it all together, that, that's the picture we get. You know, US GDP 
still around 1% below pre-virus levels by the end of 2021. For the UK and Europe, it's more like 3 3.5% below. So still quite a long way, even, even by the end of 2021 for Europe. In terms of the risks, well, we still have to think about the, the risk of the health crisis itself re-escalating. I mean, been lots of discussions about whether or not we might see a resurgence in virus cases as the lockdowns are, are eased and people start moving around again and mingling again. Um, and, and if that happens... You know, it's possible to see a renewed uh, imposition of lockdowns later in the year or current lockdowns just get retightened and then extended for a longer period. And and as we put in our downside scenario that we published a few weeks ago, a scenario where GDP falls by 12%, say, in, in Europe and the US in, in 2020 is not out of the question. Thanks very much for those insights, Brian. And thank you for listening. You can access the May edition of our Global Economic Outlook report, along with all our other sovereign and economics research on Fitch's website. We hope you join us for the next edition of Fixed Interests.